0: and the thoughts that are positive that reinforce that. So when those two overlap, it has a great mindset. If I believe I can do something, but my brain's like, no, you can't answer. are you sure you're stupid, you're weak? Well, yeah, the mindset's weak. I don't get much done, right? Then another part of it is the- Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra enhanced living.
1: Hi guys it's RJ Singh coming to you from Ultra Habits. It is Monday morning and I wanted to take the opportunity to introduce our next fantastic guest Anthony Trucks out of California. Now Anthony is a former NFL player, super driven, super introspective, just a really really interesting guy. Now Anthony's story is quite interesting. He grew up in foster care in California and was acting out uh, throughout his whole youth and really, really was getting into lots of trouble. And he had a bit of an epiphany, an aha moment, which we actually unpack in the interview. And it set him on a new trajectory where he became super focused and started to rebuild his sense of identity. And that's actually what his area of focus and expertise is. It's how do we reshape our identity from one that isn't serving us to one that is serving us and he's a really powerful framework that helps his clients achieve this. Now, it's uh, a really dynamic conversation. I could have talked to Anthony for much, much longer. I hope you get a lot out of this uh, discussion. Please leave us your thoughts, give us a review, let us know what's working for you and what we can do better. Anyways, guys, I hope you have a great week. Peace.
0: All this stuff, so. You've been working, bro, I see you
2: grinding. Oh man, I've been, I know your life story, bro. You, you have, there is so much depth to your story that I could spend three hours talking to you about that That's shit, true. man. It's crazy. And, and you know what? Like I feel this weird connection because we grew up in the same place.
0: Yeah. Bay Area. Yep. All right? right.
2: You're, you're talking about Martinez and, you know, all the uh, the stuff you were doing there with the foster care, like it's taking me back to juvenile hall when I was in Diablo unit running around, you know, like I've got such bad memories of Martinez, man, like that city.
0: Yeah, dude, I'm the same. I tell my wife, I told her for many years, I'm like, I don't like being in Martinez. The thought of like, because I still know where that, that building is that my mom used to not come to visitations. I used to sit there all by myself crying. I remember that I can remember the layout of it right now, dude. It's weird. I don't like Martinez, not a big fan of it myself.
2: No, it's it's a bit like Brick City when you're there anyway, right? Like everything there has to do with like judicial, um, legislative, courts. courts, you know what I'm saying? So, so, Anthony, thanks for coming on the Ultra Habits show. There is so much that we can unpack in terms of your story, but we don't have the time. So I'm going to jump straight into your message. So one of the reasons I really resonate and find what you talk about to be super, super relevant and deep is that you're talking about habits being a function of your identity. So identity is deeper effectively than the habits, as I understand it, uh, in terms of how you articulate it. Now, can you talk a little bit about identity and the components that make up our identity?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't say that uh, that identity is 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 deeper than habits. It's interesting because habits will lead you to an identity. Like you've heard before, you are what you consistently do. I think the interesting thing is most people don't think about what they do. They just do things. Or they may borrow some things here and there. Um, when I look at it, I have this kind of structure I call the ideal identity. It's it's the comp- you know, compromisation of all the things we're talking about, but it's comprised of your beliefs, your thoughts and your actions. And those things kind of create a Venn diagram where they overlap a little bit. So where my beliefs are, it's like, what do you believe is possible? Who do you believe you are? What do you think the world is about? What do you believe about money? What do you believe about love? What do you believe about sex? Like, what do you believe about, right? And so all these things are things that were inherently put into our identity early on. And we run our life from those parts of the beliefs. Then you have the thoughts that run in your head. When I see something, what do I think? unconsciously not what do I consciously think like if I see somebody doing something what is my thought like if somebody cuts me off do I think that they're in a rush to get somewhere or do I think they're cutting me off and I gotta get road rage right my thoughts where the two of those overlap I look at it what's called your mindset which we all know about but mindset is a subset of your identity because there are people who just they identify in a certain level of like I get things done and what other people do is say oh they got a great mindset well no it's just who they are we're calling it mindset, but they have a certain level of beliefs of what's possible what they should do. And the thoughts that are positive that reinforce that. So when those two overlap, it has a great mindset. If I believe I can do something, but my brain's like, no, you can't, Aunt. are you sure you're stupid? You're weak? Well, yeah, the mindset's weak. I don't get much done. Right. Then another part of it is the actions and are big, you know, the three Venn diagram pieces, the actions. And there are certain big actions that certain people do. Like there's some cats that just, they go out and win Super Bowls. They jump off cliffs. You know, they launch businesses. They, you know, make these bold statements. They're just like, there's an action they take in that one moment in time that just creates something special. And we look at them and go, oh, right, it's just crazy. They actually in doing so get feedback that tells them who they are. I'm a Super Bowl champ. I'm a NASCAR winner. I'm a great mom or dad. In between your actions and thoughts, you have the thoughts of what you should do paired with actions, and those in a consistent basis become your habits. So identities within the aspect of of like the habits are part of it. So if I think I'm supposed to every day get up and get my morning workout and be in shape, and I don't do that, I got poor habits. Therefore, I can't become because I'm not doing to become, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the third piece of this that comprises all of it that I think is quite literally one of the most important. It's between beliefs and actions. If I believe I'm supposed to do something and I don't do it, I lose a sense of pride. It's your personal pride in that area, right? I lose a sense of pride. Like I'm supposed to do it. I'm supposed to get up and make that call or make that email. I want to grow my business, man. I got to make these cold calls. I got to reach out to people. I know I'm supposed to do it. I believe it, but I just don't do it. And I go, oh, see, you suck a little bit. What were you doing, right? But when you do it, I believe I'm supposed to do this and I do it. Oh, I get that chip in my shoulder. We call it confidence, ego, pride, right? You get that sense of self. And that's a special one because here's the truth. You will not... Settle for less than you believe you deserve. We don't as humans. That's why A-listers don't marry, you know, people that aren't A-listers, you know, most of the time, like, it's like, I'm not settling for something below my level of desire and what I believe I, I should have. And that's where pride sits. I take the actions and I believe I should. The pride bumps up. I feel good. I won't settle for less, which means I'll fight for what I deserve. I'll fight for the job. I'll fight for the relationship. I'll fight for the career, whatever it is. I'll fight for it in tough moments because I know I deserve it. I know I believe it. And what's unique is when people, the same thing applies to people who don't have much pride, they'll fight for what they deserve. Unfortunately, they think they deserve far too little. Mm. Because I didn't take the actions, I didn't build the pride. And I will actually, his thing, when people start getting success, they'll fight to go back down sometimes. They'll fight to stay small, you know? And so I think of identity, it's a comprising of all of these beliefs, thoughts, actions, mindsets, habits, and ego. And if you have all these things in a good fluidity, a good rhythm, you create a powerful ideal identity for what you want to accomplish. Ideal is, you know, means perfect, the perfect identity for the dream that you have, the goals you want to achieve, but you can't get those if you don't have beliefs or you don't take the actions or you have bad habits. Like they need to all be in sync.
2: Anthony, there's a lot of depth in that, bro. And I'm just reflecting on my journey in the recovery community. When we try to help people get sober And what we typically see is people will hit the eject button before they start to get that positive feedback. So Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is when a person hasn't yet created the right habits and they're not yet moving into that identity, how can you keep that person on the path when they don't actually have the habitual infrastructure and they're not yet in that identity because i see the interim piece the real that there's a gap there now is that from their own desperation or can you actually help foster that
0: you got to clarify what that is and it's true there is that in between where i'm not quite there yet and i but i know i'm where i'm at like how do i get the drive to go there's a way that i look at my life and i and i so i tell people you got to fall in love with the day not the destination, so I'm, I'm going to kick that out. We're going to run up to it real quick. So that, this is the kind of process to look at, and this is the journey of all this looks. Yeah, you said that people aren't yet getting to that identity, but they actually are, and here's how they do it. We try something that we're not good at, or we're not you know you know properly prepared for. We just we don't have any skill set around. Or we've never done before. We try this thing, and typically, if you've never done it before, you get to a moment of trying it, and you get immediate feedback that tells you you're bad at this. You're not doing a great job and it hurts. We'll call it a 10 of pain, 10 out of 10 of pain. All this is horrible, this hurts. I don't like the experience of this. And like you said, most people evacuate the the situation. I don't wanna subject myself to this because I'm just experiencing pain. It's not gonna work out. Why try it again, right? And it keeps going over and over. And this is what I tell people. In that moment, you were given phenomenal feedback. You learned something, you didn't know you learned it. You just, all you thought you felt was pain, but no, no, it came packed with a lesson. And what you did is you took that fresh lesson that's in your head and clear to you and you ran away from the situation. And then what happens is a month from now, two months from now, you forgot about it. And when you think about going and trying something again to get better, you forgot what that is. So you gotta subject yourself to the 10 of pain again. Here's what I tell people, you do something, you get the lesson, the time to apply it is right now, immediately. And you don't feel like doing it because your emotions, like, I don't want to feel that pain again. Are you kidding me? Like if I was a guy getting on stage and I bomb on stage, the last thing I want to do right now is get back on stage, you know? I'm a comic and I bomb. I don't want to go back and tell jokes, but look what you got it right now. What went wrong? What happened? What Okay, go back and do it again. And you go back and do it again. And listen, RJ, it's not, it's not going to be a zero. It's a nine and a half. It still hurts, right? but it's a nine and a half and it here's a little bit less. And then you go back and some people at that point disappear. Some stay and say, let me take this lesson. Oh, okay, do it again. This is the time when people say, you have got to be crazy, are you a masochist? Why do you keep subjecting yourself? You suck at this, why do you keep doing it? Well, because it was a 10, but it's a nine now. And you do it again and some people leave and some stay around it's a seven, some people leave, it's a six and it keeps going down and down. This is the journey. By the time it gets to zero, most people will assume, okay, I'm doing it painlessly. It's not the case. You're doing it immediately from zero goes to joy. It's not something I hate doing anymore. I love it, right? When I first started speaking on stages, I was like, man, I, I'm deathly afraid of this, man. I'm talking to people at like parks because that's all I can get a speech at. It's just weird. And I was afraid and I got scared and I bombed and I lost, I just I lost faith in myself, but I kept getting back up. I kept learning a lesson and doing it again. Learn a lesson. And why are you doing this? You're not a good speaker, and no, I could do it. No, you can't. Look at you. You suck. But over time, dude, now, oh, I love to get on stage. I absolutely love it. People love that I do it. It's the same thing for relationships that don't seem to work out because you're not taking the lesson. You're disappearing, getting drunk, doing drugs, coming back, and like you still keep dating the same person with a different name because you're not learning the lesson, you know? And so on the journey to your new identity, it's riddled with a whole bunch of moments you're going to want to leave, but it's also packed with hidden lessons that if you can just grasp them, learn them and apply them as quick as possible, you shortcut the process of the process of, of progress you're looking for.
2: Yeah. It's almost a skill like being able to have the wisdom to understand feedback and leverage that feedback and move towards that feedback. I okay. think it it's a skill, like it's not magical and you're you're hundred percent right. And that I think happens over time where you realize that you get illustrative examples in your life that when you move towards the pain, you get the win. And um, there's a lot of depth in that. So let's talk about the shift method. What is the actual framework you have that supports this transition, Anthony?
0: Yeah. So the shift method was was born of life and me breaking mine, and fixing it, right? That's how it always, it always, and it should come from that place. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's right for anybody to tell somebody else how to run the race if they haven't crossed the finish line. So I, I crossed some finish lines in life and I turned around and said, how in the world did I get through this race? You know, cause some people get stuck on like the booby traps and never get past them in life. And for me, I realized that there's this, this aspect of my identity that I have a weird relationship with and a weird way of navigating. I always did. And I didn't get it. So when I got to a point of understanding, man, I I'm a guy that I like to accomplish big goals. I, you know, play in the NFL and bet on television and written books and stuff. Um, but the thing was, I didn't get there until I actually had made like a bigger shift to this guy I am now. And that came through understanding what in the world I was doing all those years, because like I'd bought the books and I'd bought the courses, but I still wasn't winning. My relationship wasn't any better, you know, and I was like, what's going on? And I realized that like, if I applied what I'd been doing all my life, it was shifting who I was. And so when I look at it, there's three stages I've always gone through. Always. C was the first stage. The C shift sustains the process. Most people will go to the shift stage because the shifts, the action stage we will step into life and say, let me start shifting and changing things right now. Let me do it right now. And we start doing that work. And then what happens is you start climbing this ladder and you get on the ladder, you huff and puff, climb to the top of the building and go, oh, man, this ladder's leaned against the wrong building. Like I, I accomplished success in a place I didn't want to be like, I didn't even write knew why you didn't do it and why you didn't get there because you didn't see where you needed to go. So I always start with the C stage and I go, look, we're going to go back and take a look into the blind spots that you don't want to look in, that hurt your heart, that your friends have been telling you about for a while, that you keep trying to cover up and think they're not really issues, right? It's the stinky fish in the room. We got to take a look at those and see them at a depth where you go, oh, okay, I see who I am. And this does something special. It doesn't just give you clarity on what to do, right? Because I think that's what people see is like, oh, now I know what to do. That's not the key it gives you an opportunity to dream bigger than you thought you were supposed to. Because if I, if I think I'm stuck by this, I I don't have a vision that inspires me. I don't even do the shift work in the first place. I don't even really go to that level. I think I might, but I might, you know, might not. But the moment you're like, Oh, I've been stuck because I'm really poor communication. So if I get better at that, maybe I could become the CEO and launch this and build this and do sales. Oh, now I get different dreams. So now when I approach the shift stage and I do the work that I have within the program of actually shifting your identity, it's pretty much like reset your rhythm as a human. It's action oriented, it's habit oriented, all the things I talked about, we work on all of that. But the, the byproduct of all those things, it is more money, it's more notoriety, it's more joy, it's more happiness, better relationships, better health. It's a life you wanna live. And when you come to it with that and you do the work, you transition into a whole different person, man. Like it's, you come out of this, this, this stage, being this person that shifted into a a place of any kind of success. And if you look at anybody we know at any level of success, they all have these stories, right? Oprah, Tony Robbins, um, Ellen, you know uh, Jim Carrey—they all have these stories about like I was this guy, I was, and then I'm here, right? What happened? I had this moment. I made this thing. I did. And if you ask most of them, hey man, who were you when you were unsuccessful? They'll pause and they'll look up and go, man, I was I was somebody else back then, right? And that that was a red flag like that just that says a lot that no one's looking at. Like they're saying it right there. So I started figuring out what it takes to do that. I created a process that allows you to actually shortcut that whole flow. It's not having a guess and do like most people do and take forever. And then once you've made that shift, the one thing that I'm really big on is, is sustaining the trajectory and the platform you're on. I think some people have success and they go back down They have success and they go back down. It's because they usually burst. I burst to get some stuff done. Right? I fight real hard and then I get overwhelmed or I get burned out. And next thing I know I'm sliding back downhill because it's hard to maintain that because it wasn't who you were. You know, it's just something. You are this person trying those things, and it's just it's incongruence, out of alignment. Mm. And so, when I learn to be that person, I do the things that sustain it. Now, what happens is, I get to this platform where I'll never go back to that place again. I'll never become. I'll never go back to that that person I was before. And that happens with understanding how to be clear in who you are and how you're consistently running it's the hive of people you keep around you. It's like, it's who's my community? Who are the people? Because I think people say all the time, you're the average of five people you surround yourself with. And I, I don't think that's true. I think it is the average of the expectations of the five people you surround yourself with. So like I personally, like if I, got a, if I have a goal of $2 million, people would say, well, who should you hang out with? You can hang with half you know, a half millionaires, $500,000, whatever, or millionaires. Who would you choose? Depends on their expectation. Because if you got a million dollars and you're content right there, you're not the best person for me. If you got a half a million and you want to go to two or three or four, you're my people, right? There's a difference, and so the perspective I look at is who are you around who will drive the next tier of where you want to go.
2: Wow. Okay, I'm going to shift gears for a second now. I really one of the reasons I really like the message is it focuses on the individual not the environment. So I be the change I want to see yeah. in the world. Yeah, I think that the way that you grew up in terms of a, a, a white foster family, um, you're obviously African-American and your understanding of a complex subject like identity, I feel like you're in a unique position to impact um, the United States as a society. I think that a lot of the challenges that we're having there right now are from Mm over-identification with ideals or ideas that aren't serving the community as a whole. I want to understand philosophically what your view is on that and how do people start to really shift that over-identification? when it's not serving the community Mm -hmm.
0: it's two levels actually so one is uh i I think the unfortunate part is we have a lot of us outsourced our identity to like facebook and instagram right we we aren't we aren't even who we are like we spend more time it's even worse at a pandemic i don't have to go outside i can paint a picture of who i am with editing software and, and this is my life and it's that's you can't even live up to that. You're living through this weird you know, looking glass of a lack of reality. It's a very odd dynamic. And so what happens is people end up spending time uh, with a person they don't like all day because they're by themselves at home. I'm spending a person I, I don't like, but I'm gonna craft that person online. I like the person online more than like the person here. So we get very secluded, pulled back, and it becomes this weird dynamic where we're now in this culture, I feel, where there's a lot more um, PC going on than should be. I think we're in a world where everybody like they say these things, but in the background, they don't believe that. Like, it's very it's very weird. I have conversations. I see people post stuff. i am ask, what do you mean by that? And they go, I don't really believe it. I just that was a cool post. Like, but what the, what the, you just post that people commented on that. And you were in. What are you talking about? And it's this weird dynamic of people. They got to They got to do what's politically correct, because I don't want my identity online to conflict with the other person's identity online. And they're all outsourced to this weird world. So that's the first part of it. I think we got to you got to pull back and actually say, who am I? Right, and and here's the other part of it. I think we really need to spend more time setting our own scales. We we have all borrowed the world's scale of greatness or what's good or success, and it's a it's a horrible model because it's always moving, always. It's like it's it's not even like the moving finish line, or like you know that keeps going out farther. We don't even know where the hell the finish line is, you know. And so what happens is, even if you accomplish, you work really hard, to accomplish something, get that job, somebody in the world will come along and say. Yeah, but you didn't do this. And then now you are filled with this emotion of, oh, maybe I suck. It was a, I wasn't even good enough. You start questioning your self-worth because someone from the world didn't believe or uh, you know approve of your, your thing. And I realized that you operate from emotion all day, obviously. So if that's your emotion, why would you go after more? If it, doesn't, if it wasn't good enough, why would I even work hard? I'm going to sit back. I'm going to get out of shape. I'm going to watch things that, you know, pacify my mind and watch comedy and stuff. And I'm gonna outsource my stuff onto, you know, social media, here's my identity here. I'm gonna be a troll online. It's a weird dynamic. So what I do is go back and say, how do I operate from a positive emotion? Well, it starts with setting your own scale in private with no insight, go into your own heart. What would be great if I was to wake up six months from now in my house and I was doing something where I can go, damn it, I'm proud of you. What would that be? If only I was judging me, right? And, I, and you sit at home when you look at the three core ones you could look at simplistically would be health, wealth, relationships. Where would my health be? How much money would I be making or my career be? how my relationships be formulated? And then you just look at whatever those actions are. I did this in a lot of parts of my life to get where I'm at now. And so I operate at a level where my world is based around what Anthony wants it to be.
2: It's your charter.
0: So it's my thing, man. And so I have like people that ask, Aunt, why aren't you doing more and building more and creating more? And I'm like, dude, I'm in season of dad right now. My kids, 16 and 11, I cut it off at about three or four o'clock today. Like today, I'm going be done at three o'clock. I'm done. They don't even call me like business is done, right? But I could work for another five, six hours. Imagine if I added three more hours a day, each day, five days a week, 15, I'd have another what, 60 hours done of work I could do, right? But for me, that doesn't matter. Like I, I want to be home with my kids. And so because of that, if I adopted the world scale, I'm not doing enough. But I got my own scale, man. So I feel good about what I'm doing. I'm not worried about you. And people say things, and they come, and that's totally fine. It's your own prerogative, but I'm doing me. And so because of that, I don't have to worry about the outside world's view of my identity, what I see, what people say, what society's going on. I live in my bubble. And the crazy thing is, lo and behold, I have success that other people want. They want to have more time, more money, more peace, more joy, better body. You can't get that if the world's tugging you left and right, giving you some new scale to chase.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. I experience that all the time, Anthony. I have um, other directors and colleagues that they like my output, but the way I go about it doesn't look like what they think it should look like because I pause through the day. I may run. I may integrate my children into my day. And so it's like, well, are you giving as much energy is you can, and I'm like, man, I manage my energy. Energy management for me is my priority. And as long as the output is there and the outcome is there, you shouldn't be concerned because you are right. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything. And I think that everyone, and I, I think especially men, uh, we in today's society lack that charter. And you're that's what you're talking about—a personal charter that guides who you are, irrespective of who or what is yelling at you in the world, right? That's, that's phenomenal. That's extraordinary. So I, I want to tap into key themes um, of your message that <clears throat> I really feel resonate with our listeners. So you talk about this concept when you were playing football and you sucked and you were getting good, and I think that most people hit the eject button before they start to get that feedback and they start to get the confidence through competence. And there was a comment you made around you don't have the right to beat me. Yeah, I love that. Can you give context to what that that statement, where that was coming from?
0: Yeah, this actually goes back to the uh, the aspect of pride, right? So. So there's a thing I always have to state, but nothing matters at the moment that it matters. My son, he's these little guys, 11 years old, but he was like probably eight or nine, played basketball. And he used to, you know, this little kid used to pick on him and he'd talk a whole bunch of crap and beat that kid up. He's, whenever we get to the game and practice, he wouldn't do it. And then he'd come back and be like, why didn't you say something? Oh, I'll get him next time he's in it. And like, no, you're not, you, you got to follow through, man. Like, you got to, you can't just say you got to be it. And so like, I I say that whole part of it to realize, like for me, when I look at the aspect of pride and personality and like who I am, there's this level of like, I have to inherently to my core believe something in order to fight in the moment that matters. Now he may think he's a tough guy in the moment that it mattered. He wasn't a tough guy. You know what I mean? It wasn't that. So for me, I look at this, when I get to these moments of football, this is where like this aspect of whether it's a long day or it was the football in the air, I had done the work in the background, so deep and so dark to a level that as a human, my investment bias would not let me take less than what I knew I deserved. My investment bias was I invested time in the dark. Therefore I will shine in this light. And how dare you try to rob me of this moment that I've already earned before we got here. Mm. That balls in the air. That's not your football. He may have thrown it to you. That's not <laughs> your football. You know, I mean, it's different, lol because I was the guy lifting the weights, running the routes, catching the balls, doing the work. You can't take that from me. Well, who do you think you are? And so this, this kind of mentality shows up. It showed up in football, but it also showed up in my speaking. When I hop on a stage, gee, I did a video a day for three one thousand 1,333 straight days, 3.65 years. Don't you dare consider taking speech from me when you know I know I can get up there and kill it. I've done the work in the background. I'm going to smash this. Whether it's you know, the way that I show up as a husband, like I've been with this woman for the last 20 years. I, I am a good husband, like, or a father. Like, I'm a good father. I've been a dad since 16 years and I've been doing it, trying to be the best I can. Like, I've done the reps. I've changed the diapers. I've done the arguments. I've done the punishment. I've done that. I put too much time in when you didn't see it for you to come out here and say, I'm not what I think I am. And I know I am. So, when people want to have that moment, which is the one you've got to have to win, if you want to accomplish or win at something, you will run into that moment. It's a precipice moment we all will face. You'll face it publicly or privately, but you will face it. And in those moments, it doesn't matter what you said a while ago. It doesn't matter what you, you can sit there calmly and privately think. What matters is when the brain consciously turns off and the subconscious comes in and it starts to run this moment, do you catch the ball or do you not? And it's only gonna happen whether or not you have done that work. And people call it cocky, they'll call it too, you know, too confident, they'll call it conceited. Dude, if I did, if I was a guy, like, let's say Floyd Mayweather, if I've worked that hard, that long, fought that many fights, won that many fights, I'm gonna be as swaggy as I want, because <laughs> I know I've done the work. And you can't, you don't even know what it feels like to do half of what I've done. It, it, there's, there's no way, because that's a big thing, is people will sometimes think about, like, you know, doing anything, right? There's a difference between a person who says, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to throw some boxing gloves on and I'm going to try my hand at boxing. That person, if you put them in a ring with a boxer will get knocked out every time because I'm trying, I'm trying boxing. That cat's a boxer. Mm. He's identified at a different level of what it means. He's been here doing the jump ropes, the punching bag, speed bag. He's been in the ring and I came and put some, I could have honestly, to be honest, I could have been in the gym the same amount of time that he has. I could have been that the exact same amount of minutes and seconds, and if I get in that ring, if I don't see myself as a boxer somehow, I will lose every time. And that's the difference, man. It's the reps, it's how you do the reps. I tell my son all the time, you gotta get a workout. I got, I got a workout, but did you get a workout? You know what I'm saying? Like, did you go out there and legitimately get a workout? Because if you didn't get a workout, when it comes to you on the track, and there's a kid next to you, it's a 200 meters, it's the last 50 meters, the kid who did the work in the dark that nobody saw, that dude will win because he will pull something out of him because he does not deserve to lose and you do not deserve to beat him and he will find a way to win.
2: As they say back home, the people selling wolf tickets will get found out, right? Like there's a, there, but, there, are, there are people out there that can talk the talk, but you put them out there and they won't be able to walk the walk. And there's a lot of power in what you just said. And that dovetails into another comment you made that, you put, you, you put in the actions in the emotions will follow. I think it's a powerful statement because I think a lot of people are waiting to feel a certain way. Talk about that, Anthony, because I think people don't realize that actions are our way out of the matrix. They are actually what then pulls our behavior, our mood, our, our emotions in line. Um, Talk about
0: that a little bit. Yeah, so the thing is, is, I think we're all trying to find ways to get to a level where, um, I guess what I could say is, we're trying to get to a point where we feel a certain way, like you said, like I feel love, I feel joy, I feel confidence, and I feel emotions, period. And and most people don't realize that you don't feel emotion, you take an action and it creates that emotion. I, I look at love as a simple, clear one. We know love is an emotion, right? It could be an action, everything, but it's an emotion. And when we get to the motion of love, we think I think about how it's crafted and created. I have children. And when my kids were first born, all they did was eat and poop and cry. They gave me nothing, but I love them. Why? And it wasn't because I they were my kids. It wasn't, there wasn't a the moment. Like there's a connection, right? But it's not a love. It's not like a I'm gonna take a bullet form. When I think that sets in, it's about like month one or two. And here's why. Because I go home and the action is I make sure this baby survives, right? I'm feeding it. I'm, I'm changing the diapers. I'm up in the middle of the night, you know, bouncing around, trying to get the kid to go to sleep. I'm giving this, this action of what love looks like and what love as an action is. And I get to experience the emotion. Giving it is what allows me to feel it. So the action precedes the emotion at all times, right? If I'm in a relationship where I feel like it's loveless, there's no love because I need something and she won't give it. And so she doesn't get it because I won't give it. And now she's mad because she ain't getting it. And we're both going back and forth. Like, give it to me first. and you give it to me first and I do give it. And it's rude. You know, it's like this back and forth. But if I look at like that movie Fireproof for 30 days, this dude just gave. He just gave the, the, um, the actions of love. And what happened in the action of doing so he created the emotion of it. It was always it's a byproduct of what it is we do. Same thing. If you want to say I want confidence. Great. You want to have an emotion of confidence. No problem. You don't wake up one day with it. The confidence comes from I put myself in the fire, and I walk through it, the action. And that's what follows up with the confidence to take more action to build more confidence to keep stacking my chips. And so if someone's in life saying, man, I really I want to do it well. You, what I call is your suffering. You're just suffering in this weird cycle of whatever's going on. And action ends suffering. If I'm hungry. I'm suffering because I want food. The action of eating ends it. If I'm you know suffering and I stink, a shower action ends it. No different than anything else in life, but with emotions, man, the action will end that suffering of it lacking that emotion.
2: Mm. What about those people that have a fear of transition and change? I know that you talked about the power of your North star. Is that really what someone's leveraging when they're facing change?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is people are so addicted to the person they are. They think that in losing who they are, that they, you know, they're going to lose everything. But the truth is, is that statement that I think it goes, um, the, the cost, let's see the price, you have to pay for who you'll be is going to be who you are today or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, I butchered the statement of it, but it's pretty much saying like you're going to have to pay the cost of your entire self today to get to who you want to be tomorrow. If you don't pay, pay it cost. forward, you have to pay and it forward. You've got to sacrifice it all. It's kind of this thing. It's the cost, the cost of your future self is your current self. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. The cost of your future self that has what you want, it's your current self, which means I got to give all of me. And people are afraid of giving all. It's pretty much like bearing. I'm a bear all and so I'm a put it on the table. And there's a thought of like, well, what if it doesn't go right? What if it's not something I like with it? All that kind of stuff. And so we will be addicted to this current person. We will absorb and be okay with the pain we have because the evil I know is better than the evil I don't. I don't know what that could be. I don't know if it could be great. So I'm going to get okay dealing with this poison and this evil. It's kind of like a, a snake, like a, a snake handler who takes pe- like venom they'll take a certain amount of venom because they realize they can handle the venom. And they've essentially assumed like, I could deal with this. If I get a big bite, I'll be able to survive. Right. And I'm like, why don't we just stop living with venom, man? Stop handling snakes. Right. Don't, don't live a life in that way. So when I look at people are aspiring to do something else and I go, man, I'm, I'm scared of losing the self. I am. Or like, that's what goes on internally. It's realistically, you're just pretty much, you're committing to the person you are. And if you commit to staying that way, It's a commitment to only having what you have and nothing more. Because if you commit to this identity, if you commit to staying in in this this identity as you are right now, you've already got what that identity is gonna give you and you don't like it. So why are you you fighting to stay with this outcome? The only way to get that next outcome is to elevate to the next level identity and it's gonna be work, it's gonna be hard, but the time will pass and you've already done work, right? You're going to continue to do work. So you can either waste the work and end up in the same place you are, or do a little bit more and have a joy and a, and a passion and a love of life far beyond what you can actually comprehend right now.
2: I'm going to, I'm going to shift gears slightly. Um, Tim Grover in his book, Relentless, he,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I like that book, but for me, there. It's not tempered with, um, how do I put this? It's all about performance at the expense, in my view, of whatever else. And there's a part in his book where he talks about embracing the dark side and he almost advocates it. Like, you know, high performers need to have this dark side that they play with. Now, you've touched on it in your. Um, material where I'm now really, really good at something. I've now created my identity around that. You're not going to beat me. And now I've got a chip on my shoulder. Now, is there a way, because that chip on your shoulder starts to bump a lot of people around you. Yeah, it does. Right. Now, someone like Tim, I believe, would advocate that because his ultimate pursuit is high performance at the cost of that's the way I that's the way I perceive the the book how would you negotiate that if you're coaching someone in regards to do they find the more graceful motivator like what's that step after they got the chip but the chip isn't working because they're fucking pissing everyone off and they're you know they're you know like what, what what's the go there
0: I think, I mean, I think some people have to determine what they want their life experience to be like, right? Because if you've determined your ideal identity, isn't worried about, you know, friendships, then do what you do to have success and make money. Be Steve Jobs, right? Do your thing. That's totally cool. So again, it's going to be your own prerogative at all times. But I do know that there's there's an aspect to where you're going to have that heck place. And to be honest, I... I find that, that acceptance is an interesting human need. We need to be accepted by certain groups. So like these acceptance factors, like we'll make adjustments and, and we usually won't, like you talked about a moment ago, like change. Sometimes it's fearful to change because I lose the acceptance from the current peer group I have. And there's also a fear of entering to the next level because I'm not there yet. So if I leave them and they won't accept me just yet, I'm in a limbo by myself, I'm in a weird purgatory. And no one wants to be in that purgatory, right? So I'd much rather stay where I'm at with these people because again, I know these people and I don't know if they'll accept me over there. So I just kind of stay funky. And so what happens, people don't branch out. Now, you're talking about saying like, I've made the commitment to go up and I'm starting to bump shoulders and people are getting pissed.
2: I'm all for that. Because Let's say your wife though. Let's say the people that matter. Let's say that Anthony's drive for success and the chip on your shoulder that nothing is going to get in my way starts to impact the relationships and the people around you that matter. Let's put that, let's wrap that context around the question.
0: Love it, it's a smart way to do it. So I would look at it as, it depends on, on what you want for your future. So there are some people who say, my family's gonna take a backseat to my, you know, my career. And they'll send their kids off to boarding schools and their wife should be home whenever they get home. Right? That's totally their prerogative. Would I do that? Hell no, it's not my thing. I enjoy the family time. I am not looking to, to be a guy that changes the entire world. And that's OK. Like someone may hear that and go, oh, I feel bad. You don't you don't feel bad or you're not mad at me. You, you are having to contemplate what your version of success is and you're throwing it on me. And if I don't attest to fame, then you have a problem with yourself, which is very weird. So for me, it's like Dude, just just do whatever you want to do. But at the same time, I realize like there may be some things where I feel called. And I've had this happen in my marriage where my wife's like, I don't know what you're doing. A job is a job. I'm like, a job is not a job a job is something you do for a long time. And if it doesn't either give you something you really want to do something you really want to do, or you find joy within it, I don't think you should do it. And she is a person mm-hmm. built around, you just go to work and you come home, you turn work off. And I'm like, I am my work. You know, it's a difference. So I do live part of this. And for me, it is important to have a great relationship. So I know that and I find my good balance in between. And so there are things I do that do bump her funny. They do like a little bit odd. This, you know, what I do on social, how I talk about our personal stories. You know, she's like, I could never do that. I'm like, that's cool. You can never do it. But here's the thing: you want me to be happy when I come home and be in a great relationship, and I have to, I have to go and do that to be happy to come back to the relationship happy. But those are again, those are important pieces to me. But for a lot of people, there, are, you know, there's a part where some people like they have this deep entrenched calling that is beyond a level where like, you know, they can they can turn it off. And for them, that's their prerogative and they may bump shoulders and bump, you know, people that's going to be part of it. But I also know that that sometimes is my perspective. When you find those people, they can still be balanced if they just have a crew of people around them that are similar or, or get it, you know. And you may have to get rid of certain groups of people that you don't feel accepted by to find new groups. For example, when I left my groups of people that weren't at the tier wanting to go to where I wanted to go. Uh, I tried to have my wife be that person. I wanted to confide in her, tell her story. She would. She does it this day. To this day, never listens to what I do. She doesn't know what I do. She does, but does no clue. I you know, get like,
2: that, bro. Totally like, get it.
0: And I wanted her to be the person to hear. And I found like, yeah. not her. Mm-hmm. I actually had to find other groups. I have other groups of people who get me, who are dialed. But it allows me to be able to, to be happy, do my thing, but also know my bigger picture is, I'm in season of dad. I'm I'm a husband. I'm a father. Those are my other core pieces. And so I have a good ebb and flow, but that works for Anthony. Yeah. It may not work for anybody else, but it works for me.
2: It's about your values, I suppose. And some people may never evolve past the hustle hard mentality. I yeah. suppose, and that what you're saying is that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just where they're at and what they value, right? So people that I work with feel it's weird that come rain, hail, or shine, I have to be home for dinner at five. Like I have to be there. And for me, I look at people that are, uh, I, you know, that are in the office all night. For me, they're hiding. You know, that's my view. And because it's, it's more difficult to go home and negotiate home life. So, but again, it comes down to my values. And I guess that's what you're saying, right?
0: Yeah, it definitely doesn't say that. that's, And the values are rooted in, you know, what your life experience should be like. in the second is what do you value is also like who you are, right? Because who you are will show what you value, right? When I, when I tell myself, oh man, I do this for the family, but then you're never with your family. Like, no, you show what you value. Your words are saying one thing, but your actions identifying what you do. They're, they're showing me your values, right? Um, if you yell at your kids all the time, you're just crazy guy. Like You may say it with your words, but your actions, what you're consistently doing, your identity, it shows me what your actual values are.
2: One of the things that's unique that you talk about and you do something we do in, um, in the recovery community is when we, when we are angry at someone or something happens, we rigorously look at our part. So we, we don't look at what that person's done. We, independent of that person, what they've said or done to us, we look at that, our part in that particular situation. And it's this kind of form of extreme ownership That's unique to you. I've never heard of someone that's not in the recovery community, you know, in the sobriety recovery community doing that talk about that whole process. I mean, we know there was some stuff that went on with your wife. I mean, that's, that's, that's happened. But one of the unique things is how you then took that situation and you were like, well, how did I, how did I play a part in that? Like, why is that so important, Anthony?
0: It's uh, well I think it ties to a lot of the work I do because if I don't know who I am now if I don't like have the GPS coordinates where I'm starting where I'm going I can never get to where I'm going. So I wanted to have you know at one point I was like I want to have a better life man I, I don't want to be in this weird tornado of crazy. <laughs> and the problem is people will go ahead and chart the GPS like I want to go here but then like well, where are you starting from. If you don't know where you're starting from you can't put the little blue line down I man you'll never get there. And so I was in this place where like, yeah, I was, I was not happy with me. I didn't have a good relationship. I wasn't in a good shape. I just, I wasn't a good dad. Everything wasn't where it needed to be. And, it, and I realized, I don't know if it was in moments of weird conscience or spending time by myself. I was like, man, I am the common denominator in all my problems, man. I'm around them all, you know, every, every one of them's got, got me involved. And it was this thing of like, all right, well then I, so I, I went actively and said, where am I the problem? That was the really big piece for like the language. Where am I the problem? Because for example, my wife had an affair. So if she has an affair, you're not commonly going into that saying, where am I the problem? That's, that's, not, right. that's not a lot. You know, it's like, but I realized, man, she made a choice and people ask how I forgave her. Well, at the end of the day, like she made a horrible choice. I take nothing from that. She, that's her, her demon to, to deal with for the rest of her life. But at the same time, I can understand the human, right? So she wasn't doing something to maliciously hurt me. What had happened, my role was I left a 25, 26-year-old woman alone with a four-year-old and newborn twins while I went off and hung out with people at a gym, from her perspective, and tried to get people in shape, you know. So she didn't have anybody fulfilling the needs that she needed, not only just to take care of the kids, but also her human relationship needs. What I would promised her I would do, I wasn't doing. So the choice she made was crappy. But it took both of us to get her to a place where she even felt she needed to make a choice in the first place. That was my place. That was my problem in the situation. So I could own that. You know, situations that had to do with like the business, people stole money from me that were, you know, people that like were kind of close. Like I thought they were cool. And I finally taken like $12,000 from the business when I needed it. I was running to bankruptcy because I couldn't pay bills because I was paying out all this money in, in, in overhead. And I was like, damn. And I started realizing like, man, sometimes, At the end of the day, it's like my fault was I didn't keep, I trusted too much people I'd just known for a little bit of time. That's my fault. I can get mad at you, but like that's your nature. That's like I can't get mad at a zebra for having stripes. You know, I was like, damn, like you said, that's your nature, right? It should have been, I should have been smarter, paid attention. Cause here's the power within this when you give yourself permission to, to find the holes, like we'll call it, you give yourself permission to patch them. If I don't give myself the chance to find what's going wrong, I'm going to continue to keep having holes. You're not a victim.
2: Yeah. You're not, not a victim. victim, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a big piece of it for sure. Like the world didn't do something. I always have control of the, my response or situations. I always had some kind of control. And if I don't think I did, I live a life of helpless hopelessness. Mm-hmm. It's a tough place. Cause when you feel that it's like, why even give any energy? Why even try? But when you flip it and go, oh, okay, I see what went wrong. I'm going to try and do it different next time. I'm not going to do that next time. And you make an adjustment. You make a tweak. You make a shift. And when you make a shift, you can reapply that lesson we talked about and get better and get better and get better. So when I was going back, looking at my life, I was like, oh, damn, okay, I see all these things that went wrong and now have these, these ideas of what I could do differently this time. So the hope I had back then, I can now live in that same hope again Because now I understand why these things didn't pan out. Not an assumption of it'll never pan out. It can, but now I know how to make it and I try it. And some things didn't work perfectly, right? There's things that had to be adjusted again, but then it gets better and better and better and better. And all of a sudden, now these things I struggle with are things that I I, I don't even second guess anymore. It's it's like people right now are stuck wanting things that they don't realize. there's like You're like four problems away from it like four legitimate problems away from the place you really want to be. You think it's one, it's four. And the reason I say it's four is because you're dealing with this problem right now that has kept you away from accessing the next one and the next one because at some point you will finally be blessed with the opportunity. I say opportunity to face the problem that is the door to your success.
2: That's a very, very profound way of looking at it, Anthony.
0: Everybody's stuck, man.
2: That's a very profound way of framing a problem. Wow. Um, I want to talk about your parenting because mm-hmm. we got a lot of dads, and I love your philosophy on parenting. There was a comment you made around uh, bring me solutions before excuses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is self obvious in terms of what that means. But I want to talk about the piece where you say, stop. Robbing your children of their hardships. Let's unpack oh, yeah. like that, because that's brilliant. Well,
0: I look at my life. I got about what, eight more minutes here. Um, I look at my life, and uh, and I, I tell people all the time, like I did. I don't like what happened to me, but I appreciate it, man. Like it's it's literally made me me. There's this perspective I look at um, of a quote that I heard, and the quote is, "A smooth sea makes not a skilled sailor." So if I ever go into the ocean, I don't understand how to handle storms. And I find that people, what they do is they their parents coddle their children and they make things easy and they get to be in their you know, 20s, they get to their 30s. And what happens is they've never navigated rough seas. So the moment a storm hits, they have more responsibility than they did when they were a kid. But with all this, this responsibility, they fall apart. So now you have way more detrimental aspects of your life happen. Maybe you lose the job, the relationship, the parents, the kids, the the career, the house, you got way more to lose. And it wasn't because you weren't capable. You just weren't given the problem early enough to deal with it. So when I say don't rob your kids of their hardships, I need my kids to understand what it's like to be told things you don't want to hear and have to do it anyways. like, I need my kids to understand what it's like to be able to, to have a conversation and when it's a little bit fearful in public to ask for something, right? Uh, the other day, I might send it to go back to, uh, to Mod Pizza and tell him to remake his pizza. He's 16. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, bro, go do it. I don't know. What if they go do it? Because he needs understanding to have a hard conversation, right? These are hardships that we need our kids to have because... If I want to be able to lay my head down when all my kids are gone and be anywhere I want in the world and have peace, it's going to be because they know in my heart they've experienced enough hardships and navigated enough of them to where they can handle life, right? Mm -hmm. Because if not, then I'm just waiting for a phone call when something goes crazy Mm -hmm. because they couldn't figure it out. And dad, I I lost my job. And dad, she left me, like, you know, like all those things. Well, why? Why? what I was doing. No, you know what it was, you know how to deal with like having a hard conversation because they were doing something and you didn't say anything about it. And it kept happening and you got resentment and then you started doing crazy things and they got pissed and then it all fell apart because you didn't have a hard conversation because nobody taught you. Right. So it's, it's, it's weird, exponential extrapolation. My wife hates that I do this, but every moment I'm looking through life, I'm like, they're going to spend far more time as adults And she thinks I'm like a little bit tough and I'm just, I'm the disciplinarian. She's not, she's super easy. She's the friend and that's cool. I get it. And I'm not like crazy. I love my children, but at the same time, like if I set a rule, bro, I'm going to hold you to the rule. Like, do we agree to it? Yeah. Then that's the rule. Do I really have to do that? Yes. I told you it was going to happen. So I got to do this now. Cause if I don't, you're going to get to a job, have a boss ask you to do something and you're not going to do it. They're going to be like, well, why'd you fire me? Like, (laughs) you know, so it's just a little nuance I look at, but yeah, you can't rob the kids of their hardship. They need those to be functional humans later, man. That's
2: brilliant, man. Look, we'll, we'll close there. I think that was, there's is, is a lot in this conversation, Anthony, where can our listeners find you, man?
0: Yeah, man. If you go to uh, Instagram at Anthony trucks, or if you want to just kind of message me directly, go to textanthony.com and you can join the, the daily podcast I do and just get text messages from me or just communicate back and forth.
2: All right. All right, Anthony, we'll leave it there, man. Again, Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, bro.
0: Very welcome, man. Appreciate you.